This past weekend, someone sent me a Facebook post that blew my mind. It's for a game called Soccer Skills. But the incredible thing was you could buy a mega brand water bottle for the lowest price anywhere, right from inside the game. How crazy is that? I looked up the company responsible for this, and it's called Seolo. They have created the first platform ever that lets brands not just advertise in games, but actually sell real-life products in them. It's like they said, okay, we're all mobile gamers, and we're all sick and tired of annoying ads inside games. Let's actually give consumers the ability to do something with those advertised products. Why not just buy them right off the bat? They also place products in the right context, matching the game with the brands. So you're not going to run into an ad for, say, adult nappies inside a shooting game aimed at teenagers. And because they work with both brands and game developers, they are able to create these fantastic campaigns that offer huge discounts to players. So you play the game. At the end of the level, you see a pop-up offer. Select the size, color, whatever you want, and pay with Google Pay or Apple Pay. Take seconds, they ship it right to you. I got my bottle within three days and they never take the player off the game. It's a fun game, try it out. We'll put a link to it in the podcast bio. Two games into the new season and we already saw plenty of action, goals, drama, quality at its best and some incredible moments. We've got a busy episode today, so turn up the volume, sit tight and get ready for another exciting episode of Caught On Sight. Jim, it's great to see you again. There was so much action on match day one, match day two. Did you actually manage to recover? Yeah, well, you, you asked me on the first podcast what, what I like most about the Premier League, drama. <laughs> and we've had we've had loads of it we've had loads of it again um it's 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 been great i mean the 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 weekend just gone um i went to nottingham forest and watched them beat west ham maybe a little fortunately um but but they got three great points and uh and then of course um i went to anfield to see liverpool being held by by crystal palace so it's um we we've had a few surprises already this season and there's lots and lots of ups and downs to discuss. I managed I may I heard you loud and clear I I managed to hear the way you tried to convince me. Let's start talking about your dark horse Tottenham Forest. Perhaps my dark horse Crystal Palace yeah. but you have to be wait please wait patiently. Everyone wants to hear about your experience from from the sitting ground but yeah. Perhaps as you can expect it, I would actually want like to start with Man United away in West London against Brentford. Yeah. I heard so many ways um, different pundits for the last few days try to describe uh, the Man United performance. Um, I, knew, I do need to highlight, we will get to Brentford very soon because we have to give them massive credit for their performance and overall the project. But let's start with Man United, Jim. You mm. managed to watch the game. You saw the highlights again and again. What went so wrong? Tactically, they were so easy to read. That's what what jumped out at me. Um, obviously, Ten Hag is is putting a, a new structure and a new philosophy in place. We've we've discussed that. We know that. Um, 
But I, I was just stunned at the fact that they were coached into playing out from the back. Let, let's, let's start with that. Whatever about De Gea's mess up on the first goal, playing out from the back, it caused them all sorts of problems. And I watched Thomas Frank being interviewed pre-match and he called it. He more or less said that we're, we're going to get really tight on Ericsson because Ericsson's the playmaker. He's the one they're going to look to play through a little deeper in midfield with Fernandes further up the pitch. So th- they were always going to get, get, a, get high and, and press him. Um, and they did just that uh, for, for the second goal when Jensen um, stole it from him and, and tucked it in the corner. And, and I just thought that th- there's no flexibility in terms of th- their tactical thinking and their, their approach. I mean, if, if you... I think De Gea was always uh, also at fault for that because he should never have been feeding Ericsson the ball in that area. And and thereafter, they, they did develop some sense, Manchester United, and played it a little longer downfield. But it's it's just the fact that they they, they didn't read that. They, they didn't find a way around that, knowing that they were going to be caused problems in doing that. That's That's... That was stark. That was that was you know full on, and and they got that badly wrong. Um, and and again though, Niv, you go back to I, I worked on the first game when and Brighton won at, at Old Trafford. Yep. I go back Correct. to that, and they had a lively start, Manchester United. But as soon as Brighton scored, the confidence just disappeared, and they, you they felt stopped it, you playing. felt it at Old Trafford. You felt it from the crowd that the, totally. the energy, the, the atmosphere, the body language has an impact on the players' body language. You felt it immediately. You were there at Old Trafford. Totally. I mean, we, we, were, we were talking about it in commentary. It was like a throwback to, to, to last season. Um, and they had, you know, a reasonably successful preseason. So we thought maybe spirits would be lifted somewhat. And yet yeah. immediately, once Brighton began to take control of the game um, and start, start to run the game, um, Manchester United caved. Um, so what, what, was, it, was it a real surprise for, for Manchester United to, to go and lose four at, at Brentford? Um, it, 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 should, it shouldn't have been because Manchester United should have been better prepared after the Brighton defeat and they should have known what they were going into because Brentford are, do you th- do you think it's are a, a very tidy Do you think it's a lack outfit. of experience of... Yeah, do you think it's a lack of experience of everything in the Premier League? Because uh, as I mentioned in the pre- previous episode, I'm a big support. I'm, I'm a supporter of Ajax Amsterdam, and he did really well with Ajax mm. in Europe as well. But the Dutch league, with all the respect, it's not the Premier League, and perhaps the lack of experience, the lack of awareness of understanding he's got with this division cost them another game. Well, I mean, you you might be able to enlighten me as to you know what what. Ten Hag has faced in terms of competition in the Eredivisie in in the Netherlands. Um, I mean, do, do teams go and, and press Ajax quite high and 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 make it difficult because they just seemed completely, or he seemed completely naive to the fact that they can do that. If he's done his homework on Brentford, um, then he knows Brentford can adapt to different systems. They're very versatile in the way they set up Brentford. Yes. They can press you high, which they did against Manchester United. They can drop in and have a low block and, and, and be quite resilient with it. They can go long from back to front because they've got Tony, who's very good in the air, and he links up really well with Mbuemo. We, we saw that as well with the, the fourth goal. Um, so knowing that, that they have that adaptability, um, I think Ten Hag was a little gullible and naive 
um, in, in the way he set his side up. There's one thing saying, okay, this is the way I want to play, but you've got to find a way around um, a problem. If, if, you're, if you've got an obstacle and Brentford were that obstacle, you've got to find another route. And Manchester United, certainly in the first half early on, just kept walking in to the same cul-de-sac. They kept walking mm. in to bad areas mm-hmm. and they caused the, their own problems after De Gea's early mistake. And then, of course, and it's hard on the players, but they're, they're yeah. going to have to harden up. The belief and the confidence just was was draining, just just completely flooded out of them. And uh, we, we saw the same in, in the first half against Brighton. They... They found something in the second half in terms of um, sustained pressure on on Brighton in the second half without really any menace. So Ten Hag has got got. I mean, I, he he knew he probably had some some difficulties, but now I think you can you can multiply yeah. it by ten. Perhaps you heard, but uh, I heard that um, following that massive defeat in West London, Eric Ten Hag called the players for additional training on Sunday to cover 13.8 kilometers, which is the exact distance Brentford ran further yeah. than United last yeah. Saturday. So they got plenty of time to prepare for the next game, which is Liverpool. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a second. But we obviously we can't stop talking about United before talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. His body language, you know, he tried. I saw him. I, I stood a few meters away from him during the warm-up. Because he, with Cristiano... As much as pre- people criticize, you know, what's going on, etc., his body language, his determination before the game, you know, he was he was ready for it. You could see the warm-up. He switched. He was switching on the warm-up. But looking at the warm-up, I thought myself, you know what, United, this is Man United we expect to go. They're going to have a good Brentford. They're going to expose Brentford at home. They're going to hit them on a counter-attack. Maybe Cristiano was first Premier League goal of the season. Maybe United was the first Premier League uh, goal of the season because against Brighton, it was only an own goal. But McAllister, I think, that scored. But Cristiano Ronaldo, we saw the body language after he missed opportunities. He had a bit of a goal with the referee, he had a bit of a goal with the, of the Swedish, against the G- Swedish defender of Brentford for tackling him, etc. Um, for the benefit of Man United, do you think Cristiano should stay at the football club? No. I mean, we, we, we spoke about this last time around and I felt then that he, he probably um, is, is looking for an escape route. He, he, he wants to get away. Um, I, I hear what you say, and, and I will back it up by saying when United went 2-0 down at Brentford, there was a shot of Ronaldo, and he was just holding his finger in the air as if to say to them, just trying to uh, give them some sort of a lift and some confidence, all we need yeah. is one. Yep. We just need one back, and we can get something going. True. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, no, I, 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 I think he, he, he went down, out there with good heart, good will. To, to try and turn things around and, and lift spirits. Um, but what is unfolding around him now and the way he, he thinks, because he has a right to think like that with what he's done in the game, um, I, I, I would think that he's, he's been on the phone to Mendes again saying, you know, get, get me out of here. I, I, I need to get away. Yeah. But the, the, who wants him? That, that's the problem. Is anybody really going to take him now? So, I, I listen. He 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 also would have gone out thinking, "I can be the rescue act. I can be Manchester United's savior here. I can elevate my status to another level again if I start banging in goals again." But you know, he he 
he didn't really have an opportunity. And and even on the, wasn't it the first goal that he was tackled and he went down? Um, and I mean, the, the tackle was minor. Um, had he stayed on his feet, he might have been able to rescue something out of that and yep. and, and maybe it yep. would have been avoided. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 still, I still believe that Cristiano Ronaldo is trying to get away. And before we move on to Brentford, just nice and sharp. Uh, this episode will be released a few days before the Liverpool game at Old Trafford, Monday night, 8 o'clock kickoff UK time. I'm sure you, you will be there and I'll be there as well. Monday night, do you think, first of all, is Ronaldo still going to be a United player? If he, uh, if he will, do you think he will start the game or will start on the bench? So three different scenarios. I, I think in the circumstances, depending on Martial and whether he's recovering um, quickly enough, I, I would think he's probably likely to start Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. I, th- I think he would start. Um, but... Um, I mean, it's it's we're kind of wondering whether Manchester United have actually hit their lowest point, or can they still go a little bit further? Mm. Can, can they actually drop a little bit more? And are we well, still I, awaiting it? Yeah, I heard some pundits say that if they won't pick up the pace and carry on with recruitment in the summer, and perhaps you know move Cristiano Ronaldo out of the football club, they could finish themselves in the bottom half of the table, which is. Unheard of when it comes to Man United, but that's the reality, isn't it, potentially? Right. Um, we have to move on to some other topic. Just a few words about Brentford. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Thomas Frank for post-match interview after the game. Um, the first question of asking before even the camera was rolling, it obviously it wasn't part of the video. Thomas, it's boiling, roasting, sunny day in, in West London. How are we going to celebrate a beer or, or, or a cold beer or cold, or cold water? That was, that was before the official interview. I'll keep the answer between Thomas and myself, but this is someone, Thomas Frank. I don't think you can, if you, if you investigate through the whole of English football, you won't hear from anyone one negative thing about him. How exciting is that you see what they're doing at Brentford? They're leading this project from um, lower leagues in the Football League. They're looking at data, the way they run the football club as well, um, the Scandinavian impact as well. From the outside, as a neutral supporter, it looks very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've already re- remarked on on how um, adaptable, how versatile they are. Um, their preparation is is terrific. They they do everything properly. He seems to have a great order uh, and a wonderful spirit built. Um, I can remember early last season when when they'd come up um, and they went to Molyneux to play Wolves and yeah. won 2-0 there and looked very, very good in, in beating mm-hmm. Wolves. And I can remember being asked that day in commentary as to whether, you know, who, who I thought would, would, would stay up out of the, the clubs that had been promoted. And I str- straight away went Brentford. Now, I didn't think they were going to finish where they did last season. Um, 13th. 13th, incredible. Yeah, they were com- comfortably off. But what, what I liked about them is that they, they didn't fear the Premier League. They, they embraced it. They were, they were ready for it. They were prepared. And that's all down to, to him and his, his coaching staff. And the, the, the players went out with... Um, with great confidence, as if to say, we know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly what our tactics are going to be. And I think we, we saw another example of that against Manchester United. As I said, he, he called it before the game and, and there it unfolded. 
So I, I think Th- Thomas Frank has been um, has been a real plus for Premier League football as well. I think I think he's been great, and what he's what he's done with Brentford, the the bus stop in Hounslow. I think what he's <laughs> what he's done there is is magnificent. I I I I love what 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 Brentford are achieving. It's 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 fantastic stuff and they, they deserve what they're getting. It's not this isn't a fluke. This is all down to hard work, thinking, working things out and um and he he's he's made some good signings. He's made some very shrewd signings and um and yeah, and good good luck to him for what's to come again. Yeah, definitely. I don't think they will experience the second season syndrome that we've seen from other other clubs that have been promoted, other clubs that have been promoted and then uh, crashed down back to the championship. Can, can right. I just say on that? I mean, yeah. I, I, I've I've kind of listened, Niv. Excuse me, but um, for the last couple of days, everyone is judging already. We're two uh-huh. games in, for goodness' sake. <laughs> everyone is judging. Just because you maybe you know lose your first two or three or win your first, it doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. it's a marathon, and and I always like to give a proper assessment to yeah. every team really after about eight ten games. Once we're yeah. once we're almost you know a quarter way through the season, you you get a good handle on what teams are 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 capable of and and likely to produce. Um, it's still not a guarantee, but I think it's a it's a fair time to assess. But I, I've just been laughing about you know <laughs> social media and all the fans and the panic with you know Manchester United fans and. And even Liverpool fans now that you know Manchester City are stealing. Uh, you know, <laughs> we will get to Liverpool very, very soon. Don't worry about it. From one part of West London to another part of West London, and the Chelsea against Tottenham Hotspur derby. I was there. What a game! What a battle! Before we even analyze the professional battle we've seen between those two teams, the North London team coming to West London to play Chelsea against Spurs. Let's start by talking about what happened at the end. That that battle in the dugout between Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte. And so many people, so many fans of the podcast, so many fans of English football kept on asking me since that moment when I told them we're going to record this episode. They said to me, we want to take Jim back to his playing days. Back in the 80s, there were probably plenty yeah. of dugouts, uh, confrontations and issues. If Jim can share with us one that stands out between two managers that you saw, you saw some really, really feisty uh, confrontation between them, not necessarily physical one, but the emotions involved. Well, it wasn't physical, uh, and it was it was between uh, Sir Kenny Dalglish and Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, it, it, now both knights of the realm, um, legend of the game. It, it was yeah. I I I I didn't play that day, but Liverpool hosted Manchester United at Anfield. It was a three-three draw. Alex Ferguson was unhappy about um, some of the decisions that were made because he felt that the the. There, there was a bias towards Liverpool on the day, and and he made that known. Um, there was in the old stand, the main stand at Anfield. There was a long corridor, Niv, and you had the manager's office down at one end, and you had the dressing rooms at the other. And somewhere in between was the boot room. And near that, you'd get a lot of the media would kind of encroach into that area and just look for interviews. And um, and eventually, um, I think Sir Alex had had gone and moaned to the media about what had gone against them. And you know what, what, what shouldn't have. Um, so he was upset with that. And Kenny was was nearby, holding his youngest uh, child at the time, Lauren, his, his, really? his youngest daughter. And um, and Kenny just more or less said that she was only a baby, and she makes more more sense than him. Pointing at Sir Alex. So they did, they had a. Did Sir Alex heard it? Did Sir Alex heard that comment? Yeah, he 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 was aware Ooh. of it. I'm pretty sure he was aware of it. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So they, they 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 had a little verbal spat at the time. Now 
there, there's huge respect between those two <laughs> Scots. Um, and they're, they're very friendly and there, there wasn't a problem. They made up pretty, pretty quickly afterwards. Um, and I, I guess once they surrender their managerial duties, then, you know, they've had, they've had no problem since. But I, I can remember that was jumped on by the media, <laughs> media in this country at the time, you know, and, and that quote was all over the papers about Kenny saying, you know, that she talks more sense than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you played against Sir Alex Ferguson team several times. I'm sure you have. Have you had um, a bit of, you, you were looking at his team and the way he set them up and the legacy was laying down, you know, ahead of their massive success, etc. You ever had any a bit of jealousy thinking to yourself, I would love to play, to play for one of his teams? Um, Sir Alex. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I must admit that there, there are certain um, managers over the years. Sir Bobby Robson was a, a, another one that I would have liked to have played for. I like listening to him because he loved the yeah. game. But, um, but Sir Alex, yeah, because he was producing great things. And, you know, I, I, I never bothered. Some, some players get annoyed by it, but I, never, I was never too bothered about them kind of putting pressure on you and mm. making you fear a little bit because Ronnie Moran was, was like that uh, in the, in the Liverpool dressing room um, as a fearsome coach. And he, he didn't uh, mm. suffer fools with, with anybody, you yeah. know, he, he reputations didn't matter. And I quite liked that. So I, I, I would have been okay. I would have taken the hairdryer if, 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 <laughs> if singled me out. Yeah. <laughs> for maybe not doing, doing my job well enough on any particular game. Had I played for him, um, I, I would have been happy to receive all that from him, you know, because I like a bit of that. I think having a little yeah. bit of fear in your dressing room, I think, is a good thing. It, it just keeps everybody yeah. on their toes. Yeah, yeah. It's a good feedback. If you want, we can add a bit more fear element to the podcast. If you think it's going to push you to the edge and get you to deliver even better content, we can try it next episode if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, so, so, well, well, tr Try it. Have have a go at me. You know, let, let's let's see what happens. <laughs> I'm 200 miles away, so physically it's impossible. I'll try with my spirit. No worries. Look, let's move on to Liverpool's performance against Palace yesterday. I'm not going to get involved now with the red card to Nunez. Mainly about in terms of the performance, as you mentioned, a lot of Liverpool fans on social media have big concerns. You know, Man City look relentless and they keep on winning, and we dropped several points so far at Fulham and at home against Crystal Palace. Hmm. Should the Liverpool fans really have concerns about what's happening at the moment, about that gap from City so early in the season? I mean, it seems crazy, but, but when, you, when you've got a team as relentless as Manchester City, I, I actually think it is important. It, it is an issue. And I, I've always said it, and I, I said it to you on, on the first podcast about the fact that Liverpool need to hit the ground running again. You know, I say that every season now because Manchester City are in the mix. Um, yeah. you, and you you have to start hitting high standards straight away. Um, they did so last season. We, we've seen a couple of times they've come within a point. You know, so, so they know that every point is crucial. And yeah. for Liverpool now, it's turning into a bad start. Maybe Manchester United on Monday will, will rectify things. But, you mm. know, after Fulham, we knew that there was going to be something much more intensive. Um, yeah. in terms of what they were going to deliver. And, and that was the case. And at one stage early on, I thought they were going to smash Crystal Palace. I mm. thought Crystal Palace were going to do well to, to just hang in there at all. Um, and then, of course, Palace had to be patient because they were under an awful lot of pressure. They were tenacious in their defending. I thought they did it very well. And yeah. they knew that at some stage, 
they would get that release up the pitch. They were knocking it long on a few occasions, but it was all aimless. And mm. then they got it spot on. Eze slipping inside, getting away from Fabinho right. and getting Wilf Zaha away. And it was a brilliant goal. I thought it was a really lovely goal. It was clinical the way he finished it. Um, and he kept his cool. Um, and thereafter, Palace might look back on it and think, we did have another couple of very good chances as well. I mean, he, he, hit, the, he hit the post uh, at one stage as well, Zaha. He could have had a hat-trick. Yeah. Um, but I, I must admit, okay, once the sending off did take place, um, I thought Liverpool were, were aimless themselves in the second half. I don't think they were knitting enough together in the opposition half. And then when that happened, I thought the 10 men with the 11th man in the stands, because it really got the crowd going, the sending right. off. Um, right. I thought Liverpool were, were really good with 10 men and they were still out playing a Palace side that could have maybe been a bit more ambitious and gone to press them a little higher with, with their numerical advantage. But they chose not to do that and decided to sit in. Um, and then Luis Diaz, absolutely superb. Um, what a signing. I, I, that, that's, going to be, that's going to be a contender for goal of the season. Yeah, we, we've yeah. said it before, what a signing. I mean, yeah. that, that was quite incredible. And at one stage, I'm thinking, well, Liverpool might just kind of dig this out. They might just manage it. But, you know, I think on balance, the, the, um, the result was about right. And what do you expect in terms of reaction? What type of reaction do you expect from Liverpool Monday night at the Theatre of Dreams against Man United? Both teams are looking for the first win of the season. Man United and Ten Hag are under so much pressure. Same with Liverpool. Liverpool, Liverpool can afford a draw. A draw at Old Trafford usually is not a bad result. But perhaps because of the circumstances that United are dealing with on and off the pitch, it gives Liverpool a proper opportunity to go out there again, not necessarily get another 5-0, <laughs> but get a good result. Yeah. Um, I, do, I don't think it'll be 5-0. Um, if I'm honest, I think Liverpool will go there and, and win. And they, mm. they, they should win. Because I think, again, and I know they, they haven't been too great at doing that of late. They've been conceding the first goal. Uh, I think last six games it is now. They've won three and drawn three. But if they manage to score the first goal at Old Trafford, I think they will go on and win because I think it's, it's obviously going to be another big challenge for Manchester United to try and find the confidence from somewhere. I mean, we, we, we've seen the confidence drain out of them in two games now and their, their belief must be on the floor, Niv. It must be way down. And Ten Hag has got to, has got to find a way of, of lifting that somehow. And I, I, I can't see it happening this quickly. I think, you know, Manchester United might begin to kind of sort things out down the line, but, but not quite yet. And, and, and maybe it's the perfect time now for Liverpool to go back to Old Trafford again and not think about five, but cer certainly think about a couple. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll, you'll be happy with three as well. Um, in, terms of, in terms of Man City, obviously cruising, 4-0 against Bournemouth and perhaps... You know, we, 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 the last time we recorded the episode, the, the podcast, the first one was just before match day one. And then we saw Erling Holland. I watched him in Iceland against West Ham scoring one goal in penalty. And then the second goal in the second half as well. They ju they've just beaten Bournemouth, 4-0 at home. Erling Holland, you know, hasn't scored. Um, I don't think he had the greatest game ever as well. But they still, within the team, managed to find solution. De Bruyne scored. Gundogan scored. Foden scored. One on goal by uh, by uh, Lerma, uh, Lerma by the Bournemouth player. How do you even stop them? And I mean, and Newcastle need to deal with them this weekend. Well, you don't you don't stop Manchester City. 
It's hmm. it's as simple you just as pray. that. You, you just pray. <laughs> you, 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 pr- you, you pray that you can hang in there, yeah. Um, I mean, w- when you play Manchester City, you're hit by a technical tornado. And and it's full on. I mean, they, they have got like supreme talent all over the pitch. And in many ways, that kind of takes a lot of the pressure off Holland. So he doesn't have to do what he did at West Ham every week because he knows there's plenty out there. We touched on this again before. It was 150 goals they scored without a recognised centre forward for most of that last season. I mean, Correct. come on. That, that's just ridiculously good. That's, that's incredible. It's, it's almost, you know, a side that doesn't cry out for a, a number nine. But in a number nine, you've got, and, and we'll see certainly in the, the latter half of the season, um, how important big goal scorers can be in the big games. And, and Manchester City um, might benefit from that. And particularly when it comes to the, to the Champions League. We know they got so close and Real Madrid pinched it last season. But, um, but I think Holland can certainly um, by then expect to be really in the fold, really amongst it, really understanding exactly how it all works, developing instinctive little relationships with all those around him, what De Bruyne likes to do, what Gundogan likes to do, um, Grealish. By then, he'll be, he'll be on the same page with the lot. Um, and, and, and I think he'll probably be scoring on a regular basis on that occasion. But it's one of those at the moment. Again, it's a bit like kind of, you know, everybody panicking a bit because their, their team has maybe, you know, dropped a couple of points in the first two games. Um, it's the same with Holland. You know, it's, mm. it's, he's not going to score maybe every week, but he will, get, he will get a significant amount of goals over the course. Yeah. How much do you think he'll score this season? I'm going to put you on the spot now and we'll check it back in May. Um, I, I'm going to go with 22. 22? Really? League. Okay. 20, okay. 22 Premier League goals. Yeah. I've gone a little conservative because of events yeah, okay. like Saturday because he can yeah. score, you know, and he, he will be familiarizing himself. But yeah, I, I would say it'd be in that vicinity. I'm going to be a bit more adventurous. I'm going for 27. At least 27. I heard so many people talking about 30, 35 goals. I'm going with 27. That's, that's, my, that's my prediction. Uh, we spoke about you. You shared with us the, your memories of the Battle of Anfield. <laughs> Let's go back to the Battle of Stamford Bridge 2022, which happened uh, last weekend. I was there. Before we even talk about the game, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Antonio Conte, Thomas Tuchel, two very different managers, two different personalities, two different uh, style of player, uh, two different experiences as players themselves. My first question If I'm taking you back to your playing days, for which manager you would prefer playing for? Tuchel or Conte? Tuchel. Why? Tuchel because, because um, when I was a kid, I, kind of, I was a winger and I wasn't good enough because I didn't have the footwork. And I slowly went kind of backwards and I ended up as a, as a fullback. Um, but I, I love getting forward from you know, deep positions and making runs and using the space and... Um, and You know, you, you, you get that with, with Tuchel. With, with Conte, he, he definitely has a, an element of conservatism in his game first. It's defense first. Now, listen, I know he's got a Tottenham team that's fairly prolific um, with, with Kane and Son and, and that partnership and Kulisevsky trying to make it, you know, a, a trio. Um, they're very good. Richarlison with the backup, we saw the difference he made at the weekend. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I prefer Tuchel's style of play. And I think it would suit me better than 
than um, Conte's. I think I might be just slightly frustrated by the discipline I, I would have to um, mm. I would have to play with if if I was playing for Antonio Conte. Interesting. And looking at that performance, I mean Chelsea. I was there I, before before the game. You know there. So many people around there. Sean Wright Phillips was there and so many other former players. I had a chat with, with quite a lot of people. And it's been a while. The last time actually Chelsea lost at home to Spurs in the league, April 2018, the Chelsea manager was Antonio Conte, <laughs> was now in, in charge at Spurs. But before the game, there was a feeling that this game, that I wouldn't say that Spurs are the favorites, but most people said it's going to be a draw. I went for one all. But a lot of people said to me, if one team can nick it, if one team can win it today, it's probably Spurs. And this is something that I haven't heard at Stamford Bridge for a while. Maybe it's because there is a new ownership uh, at Chelsea. Maybe because they are they had so many arrivals and departures, and things are not really clear. Lukaku obviously left, um, which was you know it was shocking when, once we heard about it initially. But before the before the game, there was a feeling of you know what Spurs can actually get a result there, and they started the game well. But you know, at some point after Chelsea scored the first goal, it was Chelsea cruise control. Mm. And I think Chelsea getting the three points would have been the fair result. But as we know in football, the word fair doesn't really happen mm. that often. I think that getting a draw there is a massive achievement for Spurs because they're looking at the upcoming fixtures, Wolves at home, and then they got a trip to Man City uh, next month, etc., etc., etc. I think it really gives them a boost of confidence. They can go to a place like Stamford Bridge where they struggled for so many years and they got a result. I think for their confidence yeah. levels, it's really going to benefit them. I agree. And where does all of that come from, Niv? All of that comes from the man we were just talking about before, Antonio Conte. When, yeah. when you look back on Antonio Conte's career, I, I remember him playing. Um, he never stopped running. He never mm. stopped working. And he was, he was dogged and driven to the very end. And he is basically imposing that on his, on his players now. Um, and that's what's, what's in their game. Tottenham knew. I think Tottenham were happy to admit that you know, they were outplayed. Chelsea were the better team. But they came away with something. And you're right. You're absolutely spot on. Because that, that, just, that creates um, just a, a little more hunger. That, that, that they can go on to better things. Um, and, and of course, they're, they're planning to do that, that. He's still being humble and saying, you know, it's going to be very difficult to catch um, Manchester City and Liverpool. But, um, but Tot Tottenham are changing and they're changing because of Antonio Conte. I mean, look, we've heard the term Spursy for, for you know, so Quite many years. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he, he's, he's, he's kind of knocking, he's knocking that out of play at this moment in time. And... Um, you know, and and I think Tottenham Tottenham will grow strongly into the season. I think that mm. there's there's no doubt about that. But I said to you um, the last time, I'm not sure about Hoybier and Bentancur. Um, mm. You know, a, as a core in that midfield, um, yep. because that, I thought they were totally outplayed uh, by mm. by Conte and and Jorginho. Yeah. Um, so. But Hoiberg he, scored he, the first he, goal, which is which was essential. He did. For he, he, yeah, did. Yeah. he did. And I can't knock. Listen, I'm not saying Hoiberg is a bad player, and he's he's mm -hmm. he's a good player. He is. But yeah. but as I said to you, I think I think there's 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 better out there. But they they were outplayed. They were outplayed. And and those two guys in the centre midfield for Chelsea pretty much ran the show. But but Tottenham are getting that kind of result because of their manager. Mm. 
And speaking of Chelsea, um, we saw Raheem Sterling there. I think he had a good performance. He provided the assist to, to uh, Rhys James. But still, after that game, we heard so many pundits saying that Sterling is a good solution, but he's not the perfect solution. And Chelsea st- sh- should still be in the market to get another, to get a number nine that will get a job done for them. People are talking about Aubameyang, for example, a return from, you know, we know what happened at Arsenal, then he went to Barcelona. Could Aubameyang be a good fit for Chelsea? Do you think what they've got now is enough for top four or they need to st- still carry on and recruit to the market, especially for number nine, so they can challenge for the top four? Because my feeling is that I think Arsenal and Spurs and Liverpool have got an advantage um, over Chelsea as it stands at the moment with the quality to go to their squad. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, again, we, we touched on it pre-season. Thomas Tuchel was a worried manager because he was unsure of exactly where he was in terms of the squad and and he wasn't necessarily especially confident on the first day of the season and, and what to expect. Um, but that seems to have been washed away somewhat. He seems to be in a happier place now himself in terms mm. of the imports and exports. Um, I still I still think, you mentioned Aubameyang, he, he may well do the trick. You know, for Aubameyang, a lot of it is down to him and his attitude. Mm. That you know, yeah. will he apply himself um, the the way he should and the way Tuchel will demand? Um, we, we'll we'll see on that. But I I I have I've always believed I don't Havertz doesn't fit for me. I mm. I, I know he scored um, a goal that the goes Champions down in Chelsea's history. Yeah, of in course, Champions City League the final against Manchester yeah. City. So that will always be there, and he'll always have that. But I I I don't think he's prolific, and he he missed the sitter. Um, with the, the the James Cross, the Reese James Cross as well. He he should have put Chelsea back ahead at that stage and and, and didn't. Um, I just don't seem to have the faith in him that Tuchel has. Um, and I I honestly think that they they need to replace him. Whether you, you pronounce it Broya or Broya Broja, I I don't know. But he, <laughs> I heard, he I heard is probably, probably several versions. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. He he's he's on un, unlikely at this stage you would think to get a run he's probably going to look to come off the bench. So yeah. I I think Chelsea need to to address that. And I think mm. Todd Bowley is being very generous as well in what he's he's funding uh, in this yeah. preseason. Um and and I think that there's there's a little more to come but I I think they need to have a look at that center forward spot. What's Sterling going to get you in a, in a season? I think he had one really good season at Manchester City. And, yeah. and and I don't know the exact numbers where he scored a ton of goals, but but essentially, what what are you looking Bet- between ten and twenty somewhere? Yeah, yeah. And, I know, think that, fifteen is a good number enough. for him. Yeah, F- fifteen. Yeah, fifteen would be a good number. That that would be yeah. a good delivery from from Sterling. But in 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 terms of getting bigger numbers, then I think they need to get somebody else in. Let's move on from West London to North London. Arsenal. Um, I saw on Twitter um, several people describe their performance. Uh, against Leicester is liquid football. Um, look, they started the season well. Going to Palace, bear in mind, we recorded our first episode before the season started. And you know Sellers Park, you play there. It's a difficult place to play there. If you're the away team, it's like it reminds me of Goodison Park. It's it's a challenging place if you're the away team. If you're a Crystal Palace player, it's it's heaven. It's brilliant for you. The support you get from the fans, it's, 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 it's incredible. If you're the away team, and on a Friday night, you know, the first game of the season of the Premier League, the atmosphere at, at Sellers Park ahead of that game, Palace against Arsenal, the fans were buzzing. And it felt like Arsenal would really have to dig deep to get a result, which they have. 
which I think this is probably, yes, they went to the market, they recruited big time, they spent so much money yet again this summer. But I feel this Arsenal team is significantly not only more experienced, but more resilient as well. And I'm based that on the performance against Palace, against Leicester as well. It looks very promising at the Emirates, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying nice things about Arsenal last season. I always had a but, though. Um, and it was because last season, I'm pretty sure that they had the um, youngest average age correct. In, in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. correct. Um, and and because of that, I, I said, you have, to, you have to place an allowance somewhere in there because they will slip up. Because, you know, young teams make mistakes and, and they're, they're learning their trade and they're trying to get there. And Arteta is trying to put discipline in place. And, uh, and that's, all, that's all great. Um, I, think, I think they've done some good business in the summer. Um, and I would expect Arsenal to be angry at the fact that they, they did lose out on the Champions League last mm. season because they were in a wonderful place at one stage. And everybody yes, was were. thinking... Yeah, but the, the, the other thing was, the, the worry was that their squad, squad was a little thin. And, and that mm -hmm. turned out to be the case because injuries caught up with them. Well, that's now been thickened a, a little bit more with the signings in the summer. And, um, and particularly with Jesus, I know we've touched on him before and he is probably going to be a contender for the golden boot. But, you know, just, just look at the difference he's making himself. And it's like as if he's come out of that shadow of saying when he was at Man City and, you know, he had the likes of Aguero um, yeah. to kind of, you know, take a back seat to. And, and now it's like as if he's emerging into his, his own world in, in North London. And he's loving it. I And I, I've always liked that about his game, that kind of, that enthusiasm, that zest for the hmm. effort, endeavour. He's, all, he's always willing to chase a lost cause or, or go and close somebody down. And he will always work for you. Um, and okay, I think there was a little slight deflection from Johnny Evans, I think in that first goal he scored at yep. the weekend. Yep. But, you know, what a, what a beautiful placement it was into the top corner. Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's, he's looking top rate. Do you think Man City will think in six, 12 months' time, we got it wrong, we've done a mistake, let him go? Well, if, if he scores 25 goals this season, then hmm. they'll probably be thinking maybe. But if Holland <laughs> gets the 27, you've said. Yeah. And the Champions <laughs> League for them. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they're going to be too worried about it. Um, no, I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, look, if there's an injury or two, you'll hear, oh, we should never have let Jesus go. You hear that kind of thing of all the time. You can't stop that. You know, it's, it's, the, the deals are done. There's no way you can bring it back. So um, good luck to Gabriel Jesus because he, he always has a big smile on his face and he's a lover of the game. You can see that. He loves what he's doing. He loves the life he's living. And, yeah, um, definitely. and, and he should thrive on that. Definitely. I interviewed him many times um, post-match post interviews and he was always lovely, spoke beautifully and was very honest with his assessment as well, we must say. Let's take a trip um, a few miles up north on the M1 to Nottingham. The city ground. You were there for the game against West Ham United. Before I even talk about the performance, talk me through that emotions of going to a, a stadium, an iconic stadium like the city ground at Nottingham Forest after they haven't been in this top flight division for 23 years. Just share with us the emotions, the expectations around the stadium ahead of the game. Um, immediately obvious. And um, from when I first pulled up in my car and I got chatting to a couple of the stewards 
um, who hadn't a clue who I was, but anyway, um, <laughs> there was a buzz. There, there was, there was um, new, new life injected mm. in, into the whole area. Everybody around the stadium as you ma- made your way in were um, hugely excited, mm-hmm. hugely excited. And that, that was reflected once, once we, we got in there. And I, I quickly realized then that th- this isn't just a kind of a first home Premier League match of the season for 23 years. This is a massive occasion. And it turned out to be that for Nottingham Forest. I mean, when I, when I looked around, I thought, yeah, this is the same ground. It hasn't changed from when I, when I played. Um, mm. And th- the difference for me was the noise levels. And when we were <laughs> up in a comms position, I was working with Conor McNamara on that mm. game. I had yeah. to turn Connor up about three times when when we were queued to to start our commentary. <laughs> I couldn't hear him because of the noise that was created in, in at the city ground. It was phenomenal. I kid you <laughs> not. If if there's a better atmosphere for the remainder of this season, I can't wait. I can't wait for it because what they produced, the fans of Nottingham Forest, they need to take a bow. It was sensational. They were absolutely brilliant. And in the end as well, in the second half when West Ham had given them a hard time and West Ham mm. were so unlucky. I mean, Lady Luck deserted them. Um, yeah. the, the Nottingham Forest fans got them over the line. Mm. They, they backed them right till the end and they were absolutely fantastic. And if that's the case, um, they've got a chance of picking up a fair amount of, of, of home points. But what, what I liked about Nottingham Forest, and as you know, you've gone for Palace and they've got to, to do well this season and they got a good result at Anfield. Um, I think Nottingham Forest, likewise, they put any of the demons of their uh, ugly outing, shall we say, um, at St. James's Park uh, on, the, on the opening uh, round of fixtures. They put that behind them. They were back to their usual selves. It was almost like a throwback to the championship. We've got nothing to lose. You know, let's have a go. Let's show that boldness. Let's show that daringness, you know, that we, we've got in our game. And, um, and they did just that. And, and they, they played off the cuff. Um, went for it. Um, maybe could have won it by more, but quite easily it, they could have been pegged back, could have drawn it, and West Ham could could easily have pinched it too. But they 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 managed to squeeze home. That uh, we've got nothing to do attitude. Um, they will nef- they will definitely need it because they travel to Goodison Park this weekend to play Everton away. Everton are still looking for their first point this season. They 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 had a difficult start. Obviously Chelsea at home. With that Lampard Chelsea Chelsea new rivalry, and then traveling down uh, to the West Midlands to play Steven Gerrard and, and Villa. Uh, what do you expect from Everton? I mean, they need to get to pick up some points and at home against Forest because if they won't get a win against Forest, you know, even if they get a point, it's one point out of nine. Lampard yeah. had a busy summer in terms of recruitment, etc. Keeping keeping players as well, losing Richarlison getting new additions to the yeah. football club as well. But Everton, they really need to get to pick up some points. And Forest, even if it's an away game, you know, their fans will be there. They will be loud. They'll be very supportive. Everton really need to deliver this weekend. Yeah, they do. I think everybody will be expecting three points now um, just to try and calm calm the nerves. Um, you mentioned Richarlison. Thought he played a huge part in their survival last season, and yes, they got good money for him, but he 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 will be missed. Um, Dominic Calvert Lewin and his absence is is their their Massive. chief issue at the moment. Yeah. That that's that's causing them lots of problems. 
Um, they're trying to um, find find a system maybe to get you know Gordon in there, Gray, McNeil um, at various times, trying to kind of make those runs. But it's 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 not quite right. And Frank Lampard has tried to make do. I mean, we saw Solomon against Villa. With all due respect, um, when I say Solomon Rondon, with all due respect to, to the Venezuelan, he's he's not the answer. He he hasn't got the mobility. He hasn't got the the quickness um, that the likes of of Dominic Calvert Lewin can, can offer him. Um, Everton just need need him fit DCL, um, and they just they need they need look. They need they need something to go in off a backside or, as we say, anything that that will go in their favour. Um, and 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 that that is their that is their um, concern. Otherwise, they've done okay. I mean, it, it wasn't the greatest opening day against Chelsea. It wasn't the best Correct. game in the world. Correct. Everton had, had one or two opportunities and probably should have come out with a, a better result. Villa outplayed them for much of the game, but at the end, Everton almost stole something back. So. Based on that now, the next step you would think would be three points, but Nottingham Forest have had a lift and so it's not going to be a doddle. You mentioned the, the words calm the nerves. That result that Villa goes against Everton, got against um, Everton last weekend at Villa Parks 2-1, that's the way to describe the, the situation that uh, Steven Gerrard was involved in. Obviously, they only played one game. They lost it against Bournemouth. I think they've just been promoted. You know, Scotty Parker did well with Bournemouth in the championship, but Villa... You know, should have gone there a good get a result. They got the points against Everton. Calm the nerves. This is probably the result that describes the atmosphere now um, at uh, Steven Gerrard's camp. Yeah, I, do you know sometimes, Niv, and I've, I've been there that if if you suffer, not necessarily an opening day loss, but if you suffer a game, a, a loss from a game you're expected to at least get a point or win, then it it gives the manager. Um, a platform, an excuse to have a go at you and mm. to, to stir things up in the dressing room, get amongst you, you know, start pointing the finger at some yeah. of his players. That might have worked in, in, in Gerard's favour. That could have just okay. kind of stirred the dressing room a little bit just to kind of lift things, say, it's not good enough for me. You've got to kind of deliver more. You've got to produce more. Um, for, for, when, I, when I think about his managerial opponent as well from Saturday, Frank Lampard, <laughs> kind of the irony is, you know Chelsea's all-time leading goal scorer, and I think, I think, he scored more goals against Aston Villa in the Premier League than any other club as a player. Yeah. And, and Ever- Everton probably could could have done with him. Just you know, how much? How much Ever- Everton? How much would have Everton fans would have loved to see Frank Lampard, the yeah. player, yeah. on that pitch? I mean, what? Yeah. What? A, you know, we're talking yeah. about player legends, legends, and I need to just share something personal. I mean, I I, I always grew up, and I'm still nowadays support Ajax Amsterdam. But growing up, I played in a similar position roughly to Frank Lampard. And he was that one player that I always kept on trying to, you know, I was looking at what he was doing at Chelsea. I went to my park with my friends, tried to do the same, obviously failed and again and again. And obviously when he got the management job at Chelsea, I interviewed him many times at Chelsea and at Everton as well, post-match interviews. And out of, I've probably done seven or eight or 700 or 800 post-match interviews in my career, maybe even more. But the one that I always have to really pinch myself before and after every post-match interview with Frank Lampard, because what he means to me as, as a young child growing up watching Frank Lampard, and I must say from, from, a, from a reporter, now I'm a reporter, I'm not a fan now, uh, I'm obviously a fan, but as a reporter, I'm going to do my job on the weekend. Frank Lampard is probably the ideal 
person to interview because if he wins or lose or finish in a draw, his assessment is always objective, is well-educated, very honest, very sharp. Yeah. He's very patient. He's very respectful. Um, so for me, um, I know that some family members in your family support Everton. I'm not going to mention any names, but you mentioned it before. I, yeah. I want Frank Lampard to do well at Everton because, first of all, we know what Everton means for the league. Second of all, I am... I think he's a good manager. I think he needed more time at Chelsea, but this is this is history. And I just what is one he's one of these people that you want them to do well. Um even if you're not a if if you're neutral and you haven't got anything against Everton, you want Lampard to do well. And um I think they need time. I think we're gonna see a reaction against Forrest this weekend. I honestly think from Everton point of view. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think that there's a good chance. I think that there's kind of a feeling around this game that it has to happen. Um, and that in itself can um, bring a pressure with it. Um, some players react well to pressure. Some kind of will fade a little bit. But um, but I think this is one now for Everton, for everybody to step up and recapture that that spirit they had at the end of last season when they were fighting for obviously a very different cause. Um, and... And yeah, and just kind of just settle everything down, just to kind of get that little. No, we're we're going to be okay. We we we'll be fine. We, we'll we'll you know amass enough points through the season. Um, th- there's no need to to panic about anything. Um, but um, if I I, I don't know whether you modelled any of your game on on uh, Frank Lampard, Niv, but he whatever you could say about his his assessment as a midfielder, or describe how he played his game in midfield. What a finisher. And we spoke about his goals. Wow. Could you finish like him? (laughs) (laughs) Not in my wildest dreams. Not not, not in my wildest dream. Um, (laughs) As we speak now, we get a lot of notifications from friends and family speaking about Everton, about Anthony Gordon, that Everton rejected new Chelsea beat for the England under-21 forward. Mm. Now, I'm not sure if Anthony Gordon um, listens to our podcast. Uh, If he does... Uh, please get in touch. Uh, mm. But if Anthony Gordon is listening to this podcast and you need to give and you need to give him advice, Jim Beglin, about should I stay or should I go? Should he stay at Everton or should he move on to a club like Chelsea are, that are playing Champions League this season, that are aiming to play Champions League every season? And with Everton, is still a big project that Lampard is trying to lead. What do you think Anthony Gordon should do? Well, I, I don't like seeing players move too early. Um, when when they're young, just like to kind of see them mature, um, just gr- grow their game a little bit more. I can understand the, the financial rewards of going to a, a bigger club, um, and the fact that you might get to play in in bigger competitions and go close to, to trophies. I, I get all that, but but sometimes, and we've seen a lot of it over the years, that and um, that players maybe make that step too quickly. So I, I'd be inclined maybe for the moment to. Just hang, hang in there for another season, and then you know, see if if Chelsea want to come back then, and, and see what can be done. I don't know what way his contract status is is right now. I don't know whether he's on a, a long term contract or or whether it's it's about to run out soon. But um, but like I I um, he was one of my three youngsters that I that I selected when you mentioned it on the first podcast. You know th- that that I really liked what I what I saw last season, and I think he he had a a terrific game uh, against Chelsea when they beat Chelsea one nil at the end of last season, which was one of their yes. big victories in helping Everton to stay up. And he Massive was he was points, magnificent yes. that day, along with Richarlison. You know, so um, 
I'd be I'd be inclined to say stay, but mm. I I I can understand the um the temptation. The temptation is huge because of of the the potential rewards on and off the pitch. Just, just before we finish, uh, we spoke about the uh, legend of the Premier League as players. They are now involved in, in in management, and how lucky we are with seeing players, former players like Lampard, like Steven Gerrard, like Patrick Vieira, uh, in uh, players that you know the Premier League is where it is now because also because of these players, what they've done in terms of the qualities, in terms of the personalities, the qualities, the consistency we've seen with them for so many years. And after Gerard um, managed to deal with Lampard last weekend, he needs to travel down to South London to deal with Patrick Vieira. <laughs> so this is an interesting clash as well. They're both, they're going to face each other after positive results. Obviously, Palace, massive point away at Enfield. Aston Villa, three points against uh, Everton at home. What do you expect from 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 that game that this weekend? Do you know, I, th- I think that could be a really good game because I, I said in commentary... Um, when I worked on the Liverpool Palace game, that Vieira didn't want to play that way because we, we saw a completely different shift once he took over from Roy Hodgson last season. Um, we know he's trying to play a more stylish game. It's a more possession-based game. Um, they're, they're much more polished these days and, and easier on the eye, Crystal Palace, with all due respect to Roy Hodgson, who was quite defensive. So um, I don't think he went to Anfield and enjoyed the fact that he had to kind of play a low block and and just keep his team sitting in for long spells. Um, that's not the palace we've seen under Patrick Vieira. So I think they'll be back on the front foot again against Villa. And Steven Gerrard is likewise what he's put in place with the the villains. He um, he he basically wants them to have a go. Um, and I think that probably made the difference as well in the fact that you know the front two that he can call upon. Watkins and Ings made the difference against what Everton had at the other end, you know, which which wasn't much. And and they're trying to force kind of wide players into central areas and see if something might work and doesn't. So I, I actually think that could be quite an entertaining encounter. Um, I'm waiting to see now. It'll probably end up nil-nil. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce uh, I'm going to introduce uh, something new just to finish every episode now I'm going to call it James Popcorn it means basically we're going to go through all of the upcoming fixtures of the upcoming weekend and I want to hear your prediction and um, you don't have to analyze it in oh. terms of getting into technical details just to give us your prediction and we will start with early kickoff on Saturday Spurs at home against Wolves I'm going to go for Tottenham 3 Wolves nil. You read my mind. That's exactly the result. I, I'm expecting again. I expect a proper Spurs reaction. Uh, a better. Okay, I mean, well, if, follow, follow, following that reaction from Chelsea, you know, carry on playing as a very different team now. Yeah. Well, if I get that wrong, you can back me up then, because you've gone for the same thing. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> for the first and the last time, I'll back you up. No worries. Palace against Villa. You just mentioned you think we're going to go. We're going to get nil nil there. Palace against Villa. I, I'm. I'm going to go with 2-2. Two, 2-2? Two. Two, two. Two, two. Okay, interesting. I'm going, I'm going with 2-1 Villa. Okay. 2-1 Villa for myself. Everton, Nottingham Forest. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to go for 1-1. One, one. I'm going Everton, 2-1. 
Fulham Brentford, which is very exciting. It's the first time they're facing each other in the Premier League. Very exciting. Uh, I mean, Fulham had a very positive start for the season against Liverpool. Neil Neil clean sheet against Wolves away. Brentford, pff, incredible start for the season. What's your prediction? Um, I could hear the Brentford fans in the Manchester United game singing about Fulham. Um, and I just think they might they might sneak that one. I th- I'm going to go Fulham 1, Brentford 2. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go for one all in this West London derby. Leicester against Southampton. Um, 9-0 again or something a bit more solid? No, I, I'm going to go for a Leicester win because Leicester have got to um, sort themselves out a little bit. So um, I'm, I'm going to say Leicester 3, Southampton 1. I'm going to go for one all as well with this one. Bournemouth at home against Arsenal. Obviously, Bournemouth started the season really well with a win against Villa and Steven Gerrard. Then a just challenging trip to the Etihad, but they got Arsenal at home, half past five kickoff. What do you reckon this weekend? Bournemouth nil, Arsenal two. I'm going to back you up completely with this one. I'm going for two nil Arsenal as well. Leeds United, <laughs> your former club. Leeds United against Chelsea, which was... Which was and potentially still is such a massive rivalry. I mean, it's way beyond football, isn't it? Yeah. Leeds against Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was six, going on seven, the nineteen seventy FA Cup final, and for some reason, I don't know whether it was the strip or whatever, I became a Chelsea fan because of that game. Chelsea went oh, on really? to to win the replay, and um, I became a Chelsea fan as a kid. Yeah, because of that. Um, then, of course, I, I went on to, to play for Leeds. Um, not for long, unfortunately, but um, so I, I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm going to be there on Sunday. Um, and I'm, yeah, and I'm going to go for, um, for uh, Leeds 1, Chelsea 2 again. I'm going to go for the, exactly the other way around. I'm going to go for Leeds 2, Chelsea 1. I got a feeling Ellen Road will do its magic. Newcastle at home against Man City. A, an extremely interesting game. St. James's Park. What are you going for? Yeah, I think this could be another entertaining one um, because we're, we're seeing a very different Newcastle now. So I'm, I'm going to go with 2-3. Newcastle 2, Manchester City 3. Brilliant. I think actually Newcastle can challenge them and I think it's going to be one all. And Man United, Liverpool, Monday night, 8 o'clock kickoff. What are you going for? I'm going to go for Manchester United 1, Liverpool 2. And I'm going to go exactly the other way around. I'm going to go for Man United 2, Liverpool 1. So the following day, we'll record our next episode (laughs) and we'll be wiser (laughs) to figure out who got this one right. Who got this one wrong? Jim, pleasure as always. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Niv. Enjoyed it once more. Thank you. Will we'll do. Right, so this is the end of our second episode and I've got a small surprise. As you know, we usually record our episodes remotely, roughly 200 miles from each other. But next week, after the Man United against Liverpool game, we will record our third episode in one of the most special locations in Merseyside. Watch this space. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening and see you next time.